This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We have important commentary from the President of the United States, and I'd like to read this verbatim. And then we'll discuss what it means. On foreign policy, you recall that the last administration, some, by the way, I'm not just talking about former President Trump, we have a whole, this is not your father's Republican Party by any stretch of the imagination. This is the MAGA party, not a joke. Think about it. This is a party that's owned whole, wholly by guys like the senator from Texas and others. I mean, really and truly, did you ever think we'd be in a circumstance where the Republican platform would be that, and they, inaudible, the guy, the head of the rec, the head of the Senate campaign committee in the United States Senate and Republican Party put out a platform that even Republicans have walked away from, some of them, The far right has taken over that party, and it's not even conservative in the traditional sense of conservative. It's mean, it's ugly, it's the way. Look at what's happening down in Florida, inaudible. They're going after Mickey Mouse, inaudible. I mean, seriously, think about it. As my friend used to say, inaudible. Who would have thunk it? It's this sort of commentary that's led us to delve into the world of science and decide to try to analyze how to think about the Joe Biden speeches that we see on a daily basis. And for that reason, we've come up with the Joe Biden gaff triangle of emotion, because there are three things that make you feel something as you watch a Joe Biden speech. Funny, scary, and sad. You usually feel one or two or three of those emotions. And here, we see that this particular one has landed in the mostly sad, as he lost his train of thought several times, not particularly scary and not incredibly funny, mostly just sad. We will make sure to look at the gaff triangle from time to time to make sure we understand where these sorts of comments are. And this is the kind of coverage you're not going to get from the mainstream media, by the way. We've got a lot more to talk about on that front, I will say. There's a lot breaking as we do the liberal media collapse. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to, I don't know, I guess subscribe to Blaze TV. You don't know that by now? What's wrong with you? Uh, the promo code is Stu if you would like to save $10 off your subscription. If you'd like to pay full price, do not use that promo code. I don't know why you do that. Coach Joe Kennedy, we talked to him here on set just a couple weeks ago. He, his case goes to the Supreme Court. Uh, we'll talk about that today. Uh, we'll, we'll knock out another gaff triangle of emotion for, for Joe Biden because, obviously, if you want to put plot each one of these on a map, you can't just do one per day. There's multiple gaffes per day. We'll get to that as well. But we start by doing the liberal media collapse. And I want to start in a... I want to start with something that's not exactly the liberal media collapsing, but it is the end game when the media collapses. It makes things like this possible. It's the big breaking news today that, yes, it does seem like it's really going to happen. Elon Musk is going to be the owner of the Twitters. And 
look, I think this is a positive. I think this is a good thing. I'm happy about it. Elon, uh, his, his uh, offer to buy Twitter has been accepted. At least, you know, those are the initial reports. Now, there's a lot of hurdles that are going to have to go, uh, we're going to have to clear before we get to the end of this process. It's just one of those things. It's never going to be easy. A merger is not going to be easy. If we had a free market economy, this would be done by next week. But we don't really have that. It takes a while for these big things to get done. But the price is something like $46 billion. Uh, If you remember, Elon Musk put in a bid of 5420 because 420 is a pot joke. And and he he likes jokes about about drugs. And so that's where we are. Elon Musk is the richest guy in the world. I mistakenly said on radio today, I said, what, gosh, I mean, Elon Musk, what is he worth? $180 billion? No, $280 billion. I missed by $100 billion. That's how rich this guy is. And, you know, his company, Tesla, is worth more than like the top nine car companies combined. Which doesn't make any sense, really, when you consider they sell about 1% of cars overall. But it's pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. And he's been able to do this with multiple companies. Obviously, he was there. He had a crucial role uh, early on in PayPal. Uh, he has his other companies, you know, the Boring Company, which drills tunnels. And I don't know, uh, he's got uh, the SpaceX. And he, I mean, look, the guy does a pretty good, good job here. People do forget that Elon Musk is not a founder of Tesla. Uh, he came in early on, and he was an, an early investor and advisor, but he actually wasn't a founder of Tesla. It was a couple of other guys who had that idea. And, you know, Elon, it's Elon's thing now, though, of course, and it's uh, incredibly, incredibly successful. So now he's going to try to do that with another company, and that company, of course, is Twitter. Twitter, we've talked about this. We did a whole show. I think it was called Studos Twitter. If you want to go back in the archives, maybe we can dig that one up. Uh, it might be worth uh, showing this again, because for the amount of impact Twitter has on the public debate in this country, it is completely outsized from the actual user base. I think it's only a couple hundred pe- million people use it uh, daily, which is totally um, out of line with you know Facebook and Instagram, which are in the billions. Far fewer people go on Twitter than do these other services. And importantly, when we talk about Twitter, largely people seem to consider the impact it has on politics. Obviously, the left has been obsessed with the, with the impact of Donald Trump using it initially. I mean, eventually got him kicked off. Uh, and of course, the Russian influence and bots and all that other stuff that they got into. You know, but the amount of people who go to Twitter to actually digest politics on a daily basis. If you're there, you're in the minority. You're in the very, very slim minority. It's, it's just not a lot of people who do that. Most people hate this world. You know, they, they don't want to be bothered with the problems of society. And, and they certainly don't want to be bothered with opinions that they don't already hold. No one wants to hear something that they believe uh, might be wrong. So people avoid that stuff. Twitter is a good place for journalists to yell at each other. That is what it is. It's a bunch of it's it's a tea party for journalists. And I don't mean a tea party like the Boston kind. I mean, everyone gets around a table with little fancy dancy cups with their pinkies up in the air and they drink some tea. That's kind of what Twitter is. And occasionally fights break out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a combination of the WWE and a tea party. This is something that journalists like. It makes them feel alive. You get on Twitter, you tweet something, somebody responds to you, especially some idiot who doesn't know what they're talking about. You get to slam them and throw them down in the toilet, and you feel good about yourself for an hour. This is the highlight of most journalists' lives. 
Okay, best possible thing that can happen to them. Hey, you get a chance where some guy who's uh, you know worked a long shift and hasn't looked at news, and he says something incorrect about the news, and you get to go on there and it's just stamp on his head for ten minutes because you know it's your job to be uh, not on Twitter but to actually look, watch the news, and you get to crush some you know some some regular some some uh, some peon. And then you get to feel good about yourself and talk about it at your little uh, parties with your, your other journalist friends. This is kind of how it goes. So the reason why that's important is not because it actually is important. It's important because the same people who influence mass media coverage in this country, in New York, in L.A., in D.C., they're on Twitter. It's their lives. And if it, it doesn't matter how miserable they are. If, if they want to live a life like that, you're going to have to live it, too. You're going to have to be in the middle of all these dumb online debates, too. That's the way this works. So Elon Musk uh, 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 tweeted this uh, today. And Elon, uh, you know, we've been giving him a lot of attention based on the idea that Elon Musk can improve Twitter when it comes to free speech. Obviously a big thing for conservatives who get kicked off all the time. I mean, I remember Dave Rubin getting kicked off for talking about how the vaccines didn't wind up uh, stopping transmission. He you know, wasn't talking about whether they worked uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, making uh, the severe disease go away. But as far as actually spreading the virus, as we saw, especially as we got into the Omicron era, era the, you know, everyone seemed to just get it right. Um, so uh, he got suspended for that. And now it's kind of like, well, people talk about that on a daily basis. And when you decide that your job is to decipher on Twitter the place where every conspiracy theory started and, and spreads. If, you're, if it's your idea to try to stop that and get every fact right on Twitter, you, you realize you're never going to be able to do that. You're going to create a situation where your users are angry because you keep censoring them. And then on the other side of that, you have a situation where you know people don't even have a good experience. They don't even like what they're doing. They hate you, and they hate the, the experience going on there. And of course, because they're journalists, they keep coming back, because I think that's part of journalism. It's, you know, it's people in the media just come back to get slapped in the face. It's a masochist sort of thing. Uh, here's what Elon tweeted. He said, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter, because that is what free speech means. And that's true. You know, free speech is a big, important part of this. And it's the reason why I would say it's most important to the country. Right. I I will say and Elon Musk has said this as well. This is the de facto public square. I hate that sort of terminology. I hate people using that terminology. The public square argument, the de facto public square argument is almost always an argument for more legislation. There's behind that lies a scary, scary thing to me, which is more legislation to control speech. I don't like it. People on the right use it. People on the left use it. Whoever wants to control speech says, oh, it's a de facto public square. Therefore, we can do whatever we want. Well, you know, you can't. I don't think that's a good idea. And I don't think it's a good uh, direction for conservatives to go in either. I just don't, you know, this never is going to work out in our favor. It never does. Uh, but I will say that it is where a lot of the conversation occurs. And it's important to have more free speech in that venue. People should not be uh, should not be censored there. You know, the biggest example of this is obviously Donald Trump. The man was the president of the United States and they're not he's not allowed to be on social networks. Like, I mean, it's completely absurd, completely absurd. They have you have people who are like committing genocide in Africa and they're posting pictures of themselves with like heads, just severed heads holding up, smiling at the camera, and Twitter's like, yeah, of course you can post that. Uh, you know, don't, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Donald Trump it, it can't be on Twitter 
obviously ridiculous. You can judge what Donald Trump says on Twitter. And I'll say this. The best thing in the world that ever happened to Donald Trump as far as his political career going forward is being off Twitter the past four years or a couple years. Because if he has four years off of Twitter, you know, the, the media has no fuel. They have no fuel. He, people have forgotten. And, you know, and I'm not saying this audience as much because this audience, generally speaking, liked Donald Trump. But like the people who didn't really like Donald Trump and were people who maybe went toward Biden last time and now don't like Biden because they've seen what a terrible job they they uh, that he's been doing. They need to be, they're going to the media's going to do everything they can to remind those people. Hey, remember, you didn't like this guy last time. Hey, remember, you didn't like this guy last time. And, you know, Donald Trump has a way of rubbing some people the wrong way. And so if he tweets something, he's going to irritate that same sort of pushback that uh, that was uh, that was lit up throughout his presidency. Uh, him just being able to kind of sit back and choose his moments to speak out has been a blessing for Donald Trump, not a curse. So the typical I mean, remember, the first person to call for this was Kamala Harris. So you had to know that him being banned from Twitter was not going to work out for the Democrats. Kamala Harris wanted it to happen. Uh, so this is all happening as far as, you know, Twitter goes. And this, the free speech part of this is interesting. Of course, the bigger part of this, I think, for Twitter in and of itself is that this is a company that has lost money most of the time. And Elon Musk is, is not going to uh, take a company on like this that's going to wind up losing money. He's going to turn this into probably a cash machine. My guess is it's going to do very, very well. Now, Brian Stelter, and I want to get into more on Brian Stelter here in a moment and the CNN back and forth with CNN Plus, one of the biggest catastrophes we've ever seen in, in, in media history. But uh, he, he also commented on uh, Elon Musk and, and his ability to buy Twitter. Here's what he had to say. Look, who knows? I, I think that's a... a, that's a that's a, an example of a broader question for Twitter, which is, if you, uh, if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom uh, for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party? Or are you going to decide to stay home? And that's a question for Twitter users. Some Twitter users might love the idea that there's going to be absolutely no moderation and no rules at all. Others might not want to be anywhere near that. Am I, am I crazy, Matt? Well, I mean, that's a that's a very open ended question. But uh, this actually was covered in depth by the documentary. It's always sunny in Philadelphia as they ran a experiment in this front and at their bar where they opened up all the rules. And then there became some really uh, crazy behavior that they didn't like. And they wound up putting in new rules. A lot of times when you open up rules, people decide they want more rules. But that is no at no point has Elon Musk suggested he's just going to let anything happen on Twitter. What people want is they don't want their lives threatened. They don't want uh, they don't want harassment. They might not want. And, you know, Twitter is the one social network that allows all sorts of stuff when you get into, you know, pornography and things of that nature. But like they don't want things that ruin their experience or terrify their actual lives. Right. What they what they want. They do want debate. You know, most people have. Absolute, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm hanging out with the wrong people. But most of the people I talk to are just like, look, some idiot wants to post some conspiracy theory about whatever. I don't care. I just let us go past. I mean, everybody's got a relative who posts crazy conspiracy theories. So what? I mean, don't we learn to live with this? And they act as if, you know, because that information might not be completely true or it might just be offensive to some that that sort of stuff should be uh, should be clamped down on. And that's just a crazy way to look at these things. It's not. It's not what people went to Twitter for initially, and it's not what people want. You know, the left wants 
re- more regulation on Twitter because they want to control the conversation. The right wants more regulation on Twitter because they want more of this conversation to occur. But really, you know, uh, more regulation is very rarely the answer, especially if you're the right. It never seems to work out for us. <laughs> it really doesn't. Um, the free market seems to do a pretty good job when it comes to conservative values, because when you see something like the Florida law, for example, people posted uh, that law. And, you know, when it, this, of course, public schools is a different issue from free markets. But when the free market of information was able to be put out there, people said, yeah, that, that law makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree with it. Um, you know, where everybody was telling you the opposite it was the worst thing that ever happened uh, in human history. It was the don't say gay bill. Oh, my gosh. It was the most terrible thing you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, well, we see the same thing happening with CNN Plus, where the free market has, has spoken on this particular venture. Uh, CNN Plus has, is a catastrophic failure, perhaps one of the biggest media failures of all time. And I want to take our time with this today because there is so much to talk about when it comes to CNN Plus, what we've seen with The Washington Post over the past couple of weeks. We'll get into all of that here in just a second. When Tika Tuari first started talking about blockchain back in 2016, people called him crazy. He came on the air with us and people called him crazy. And then, you know, we saw Bitcoin go up to 19,000, 20,000. And then the bubble burst. And, and Tika Tuari said, don't give up. You know, this is like a, uh, a second chance at life here. You missed the first Bitcoin run. It was understandable. No one knew what it was. It popped up to 20,000. People said, wait a minute, this is a big deal. We should really look at this. And then the bubble popped. It got down to, you know, three or 4,000 in 2020. And people said, uh, see, people like Tika Tuari were crazy. They were crazy. Now we're at 40,000. 40,000. We've seen it as high as 69,000. This has been the, the type of explosive market that people didn't believe was even possible in, in the world today. But it has taken off in an incredible fashion. And, you know, you're still early on it. I have to say it. You know, someone, uh, a lot of the Bitcoin proponents will put on a chart uh, the adoption of Bitcoin versus the adoption of the Internet. And they're basically on the same pace. But we are in like 1994 Internet time. <laughs> you know, we are really, really early. You are still early on this if you look into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Do this. Check it out. Make sure you understand this world. You don't want to miss an opportunity like this. Uh, you can sign up for Tika Tawari's Palm Beach letter right now at BigTReport.com. It's BigTReport.com. Get the information on these uh, cryptocurrencies, some, maybe some altcoins you don't even know exist. Uh, do your research and understand this stuff. It's BigTReport.com. I want to ask you one of the most difficult questions uh, you've ever been asked in your entire life. And I want you to really ponder the answer to this because it's important and it's, it's not something you can just, you know, come up with a snap answer on. I want you to really think about this. Was CNN Plus a failure? Or not? Was it a raging success? Have you thought about all the options? Have you gone back and forth and considered, was this maybe the biggest hit of all time? Have you, have you even thought of that option? Maybe it was this bigger than, you know, the Marvel franchise? Uh, you probably haven't even considered that part of the equation. This is the question that one Brian Stelter wanted us to ask and think about a little bit here. And I want to get into his audio because this is just this is so incredible. But the fact that this would be going on after the network had already been canceled is really remarkable, and it's happening on the network. So they did, it was almost like, 
If you're going to throw off, well, you're going to take a network and you're just going to throw them off the air three weeks into their run, just take them off. This is like a slow death. They've allowed them to stay on for like another week and just have to continue to go out there and do their shows. Now, this was the kind of the pinnacle of Brian and Stelter's career. Stelter, who was, you know, a media reporter, uh, rose up in the ranks, got eventually, you know, he started at something called TV Newser, and then it turned into, uh, it was Media Bistro, and I think it was Mediaite for a while, and then he went to the New York Times, and then he got onto CNN, and he has this weekend show. But this was his chance to kind of be elevated to a day, a daily, five days a week sort of show. This, he was one of the centerpieces of CNN Plus, really. And uh, that didn't work out well, unless, or... Was it bigger than the Marvel franchise? Here's, here's Brian to ask. Have you seen anything like this happen before in the media business? No. I mean, no. And first of all, I think I'm making history right now. I've never been on a program talking about the demise of that program. <laughs> well, we probably have more viewers now than ever before because there's so much curiosity. And, uh, and there you know, is. It's, let yes, me, it's let like me the, try the out a theory on you. Let me try out a theory on you, Matt, which is it's too yeah. early to know if this product or this service was a success or a failure. I've, you know, you got all the haters <laughs> today saying this thing was a failure. I don't know if we can even ever assess that because it just simply didn't have enough time because of the management change in direction. And at the end of the day, if you buy something, if you buy a giant media company, you get to do whatever you want with it. But it does mean there's a lot of suffering uh, for employees and, frankly, disappointment among subscribers as a result. Mm, yes, it's a huge, huge problem. The subscribers are just all, 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 of, all of him. Uh, that subscriber was very, very upset about what, what happened uh, there. Um, it, is, it is a situation where Brian Silter is... Look, it's, it, he's in a tough spot, right? He's literally doing a show that has already been canceled. Uh, and so he's there trying to justify, I guess, his life, his existence uh, on this network. And, you know, it's a convenient thing to kind of think of this as a situation where, um, you know, he is uh, canceled only because of a disagreement with management. This is sort of the fallback position for CNN Plus at this point. Well, you know, people have different ideas and, you know, they come in here and, you know, we have, look, we have more viewers than ever before. You've been on the air for like a week. <laughs> well, maybe you do, but that's not a lot. And we obviously understand it's not a lot or they would be continuing this ridiculous experiment at no point. Did anyone have the right, the, the temerity, the a absolutely insane view that this could work? No one could have possibly thought this. Supposedly, there was some consultant somewhere who said you can get something like 15 million people uh, why, uh, subscribing to CNN Plus, which is completely bonkers insane. Uh, people, no one even watches regular CNN. Why would people pay for this? It's just completely nuts. Um, so... I don't know where they came up with this idea, but I will say this. There is this idea coming in to see this, this era of CNN Plus with Discovery taking over. And there is a question as to whether this was a bad move for, for CNN Plus and, and Discovery in the way that they did this. And the, the argument from inside the media circles and the people that I've, I've spoken to Say basically like, wait a minute. Okay, we get it. No one, first of all, we should point out, no one believes it was a success. And there's an easy answer to, to Brian Silter's question. Everyone, including the people at CNN, understand it was a big time failure. Yes, they would have liked to see it get a little bit more time to see if it could stretch its legs and, 
and maybe turn into a niche product. It's not impossible they could get eventually to this number that they claim, 150,000 subscribers. I don't think they would have ever gotten there, but maybe they could have if you know over multiple years. And if you put out programming that was cheap and maybe used it as a minor leagues kind of for CNN talent to kind of get stretch their legs and and you know. Uh, instead of investing, you know, a billion dollars, invest maybe five million dollars a year. You know what I mean? And maybe you can make ten. I don't know. I mean, that doesn't seem possible with CNN, but it's you know, it's not completely implausible uh, as a as a small niche product. Of course, they were going for something much much bigger than that. So the question and the complaints I've heard from people who are on the media side and, and are a little more friendly to CNN than maybe I am at this point say, look, you know. The bigger thing here is to blow it up in this way. They could have, and this is real, they, this is a legitimate thing. They could have very easily taken Discovery Plus, put CNN Plus under the banner and say, look, we never, we didn't really think it was a good idea to have a separate streaming service. We've been combining all of our services already. You know, like Discovery had like a golf and a food uh, streaming network that they didn't think were successful. I think a car one as well. They didn't like it. They didn't think that those worked. So they thought, well, let's put everything under the Discovery Plus sort of, uh, you know, uh, the over uh, overarching umbrella of CNN Plus, you know, or, or excuse me, I'm not of CNN Plus, of Discovery Plus. Uh, you can combine HBO in there. You can maybe throw CNN in there. And then, you know, you can very easily say, you know, eventually Brian Stelter's show gets canceled in a couple months and, you know, you kind of get rid of the bigger personalities. Maybe Chris Wallace comes over and does guest appearances on CNN and only does a weekly show. And you, and you, you sort of fade it away easily to protect the brand, right? There is a legitimate path Discovery could have taken and done it that way. Essentially lie to you, right? Tell you, Hey, this oh, it's great programming. We're going to make it part of the Discovery Plus because we have too many streaming, you know, competitive streaming products. But we'll put all these shows under the Discovery Plus uh, umbrella and you can watch them over there. It's going to be great. And then over time, you kind of just fade it away. Could have easily done that. I don't know what Discovery Plus is going to do with CNN. I don't know what Discovery is thinking for the future of this network. But I will say this. The way they did it acts as if they could beyond to something here. And I mean this sincerely. CNN has a, a long-standing brand, you know, uh, this is CNN. It's got that, you know, people you say, turn on CNN. You're, you're, you know, when a big event happens, that's what people did, they turned on CNN. Before Fox News, that's what you did, right? Fox News has come along and taken some of that away and they've burned their credibility so many times over that that's not how people think about it anymore. But that's still in the back of people's heads. It still exists. And if there's the idea from Discovery Plus, and there have been some indications on this front, if the, if they, the idea is, look, let's make this back into something that people trust again. Let's make it into something. Let's, let's change what they're doing. And we're going to try to make this into a news network again. We're never going to be happy with the news, probably, uh, that they put out. It's going to be probably left-leaning, but back more toward what it was back in the day when people tuned to CNN to actually hear news. Even if it was kind of left-leaning news, at least it was something you could kind of trust when you understood the perspective. Well, doing it this way, in such a public and just absolutely... Uh, uh, embarrassing fashion to take CNN three weeks into CNN Plus and say, this was so bad, we can't even let it go for a month. We need it off the air immediately. What that might very well give them the opportunity for is to say, this actually is a fresh start. We looked at what was going on. 
The CNN Plus is what they used to do. That idea of just Trump bashing craziness 24-7, that's what they used to do. We're coming in and we're saying, you know what? We want you to think of that era as a failure. We want the, that brand, that CNN brand, that new thing they developed since like 2015, 2016. We want you to forget that ever happened. This gives them an opportunity to totally change the narrative if they choose to do so. They could say, you know what? Yeah, that old thing was bad. We agree. Here's the new thing that we're trying to do. Now, I don't know that I have much faith in them doing that, honestly, at this point. I haven't seen the ability of CNN to do this. But frankly, it is new leadership. It's a whole new company in control. And, and maybe there is that chance that they could come in and say, look, all these people, they're all gone. They're all gone. All the problem people, gone. We're starting with new people. Here they are. And introduce new people with a new philosophy. And when you're given the opportunity, say, look, CNN Plus was a perfect example of what went wrong at CNN. They thought people were going to be dedicated to come watch, you know, uh, book clubs and parenting tips and, and you know, sh- interviews with William Shatner and uh, also Eva Longoria. How the hell was that? Eva Longoria is an actress. She doesn't even, it doesn't, doesn't even seem to act anymore. Why would we want to go see shows by Eva Longoria? No one cares. All of this crazy stuff that's just people who are, who are just bashing the right all the time, that's the old CNN. There was an era there. It's long past. We're the new boys in town. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you some freaking news. Whether they do that or not, I, I mean, I'm highly skeptical, but it does. The public humiliation aspect of this lends itself to an actual change in philosophy. All it does is give them the opportunity to do it. Doesn't mean they're going to do it, but they do have the opportunity now. They could say, that era sucked. We agree. Here's the new era. It's kind of like the old school one. We want to go back to something credible, and we'll see if that actually happens. Joe Rogan, I mean, there's a little bit of celebrating the demise of CNN+. Plus. I don't know if you detected that at all on this program. If you have, I'm very sorry about that. Not at all my intention. Uh, Joe Rogan, you know, again, he's kind of seen as the new the new voice, right? A different way of doing things from the old school. So no real surprise that Joe Rogan uh, had some, uh, had, had a pretty uh, amazing take on this and looked at uh, CNN Plus as the complete and utter catastrophe that it was. We're speaking on this day where uh, CNN... Yeah, CNN minus Plus just, went under. Just, oh, just CNN minus. CNN <laughs> just went under. They it, spent $300 million. They got 10,000 subscribers. Imagine the hubris of thinking that something that people don't want for free, that you're going to charge money for it. We're going to have the Jake Tapper book club. (laughs) Jake Tapper seems like a great guy, but I mean, I feel like I don't have to pay for his book club. (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of seem that way. That's uh, Douglas Murray, by the way, with uh, Joe Rogan. I think he's coming up on the show here in the next couple of weeks. Um, Here they are again, also talking about, I mean, this one really doesn't have much news value. It's just, they're just making fun of Brian Stelter and it was funny. One of my rules, I try and never be mean about people because of their appearances. But (laughs) a friend of mine said to me the other day, do you know how old Brian Stelter is? And I said, I don't know, 56 or something. He said, look it up on your phone. He's like 34 or something. Yeah, something nuts. I couldn't stop laughing for the rest of the evening. I just couldn't stop laughing. I I don't know what, everything about the guy is strange. Everything about Very it. strange. His pattern of communication is so strange. It's like, do you listen to other people? Yeah. yeah, yeah they yeah. talk very differently than you. Yes, he has that. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, Crystal Ball from uh, Breaking Points was making fun of him the other day. She's like, why does he sit like this? Because <laughs> you ever notice, he sits like this. Douglas, 
Douglas Murray has a book out. It's called The War on the West, and it's terrible. <laughs> The war on the wet, is that really what's going on? My, one of my favorite moments was him with Barry Weiss, where Barry oh, yeah. Weiss, and he goes, how has the world gone crazy? Oh, yes. And yeah. she just rattles she was really off good. one yeah. after another after another. That's right. Yeah, when you say silence is violence, when actual violence right. is violence, the world has gone crazy. <laughs> yes, the world has gone crazy, and that is uh, absolutely true. We saw this with the libs of TikTok story we covered a bunch uh, last week. You know, Taylor Lorenz is with the Washington Post, and the whole theme today has been the liberal media collapse, and all this falls into an area that allows people to cheer on Elon Musk for buying Twitter. You know, it's not always been the case that people cheer on billionaires for buying uh, media properties, but... You know, this is this is the 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 environment, the climate that has been created by the media being so terrible that people are like, please just get let's just have some billionaire come in here and buy this thing. So it's not so, so awful anymore. That is kind of where we are. Taylor Lorenz went on uh, on uh, Twitter. And of course, she uh, as she's been covering all these um, uh, social media networks for a long time. It's kind of been her beat. And she decided to uh, out the libs of TikTok uh, owner. Uh, the person who ran this particular account, out them by name, uh, link to uh, her uh, address, uh, all these terrible things, because she was just so awful and a terrible, terrible person. Here is the uh, clip um, of her now, after all of this went down, talking and trying to justify her ridiculous actions. It's rare to see an account gain so much prominence so quickly and be shaping these narratives in mm. such an effective way, especially against trans people. Um, so I was, rare I mean, that. my story was kind of long, but I really wanted to make the case like why this account mattered. And I think it's incredibly important, you know, as someone that covers the influencer industry to know who is exerting influence in, in this way. I mean, for all we knew, this could have been a foreign actor, right? Oh. Or someone we just didn't know. And so I thought, hey, look, this account has massive power, massive influence. This woman is basically on an entire right-wing media tour. She gave interviews to the New York Post, Tucker, all of that, um, and registered as a media company, uh, registered a trademark. So, yeah, I wanted to, I, I thought it was quite important and in the public interest to find out who was running it. You know, the point she makes there, hey, this could have been a liber uh, this could have been a foreign uh, influencer is an interesting one at some level. I guess it could have been, right? I don't know why a, lib a foreign influencer would do, <laughs> have an account like this that just highlights TikToks, but it's possible that could have been true. Also, it's possible when you started doing the reporting on the issue and realized it wasn't the case that you just filed the story uh, in, your, in your circular file next to your desk. Why are you writing the story after you figured out that wasn't true? And I find it very interesting that the excuse for outing the libs of TikTok account is that it could have been foreign influence. Of course, it was also the excuse as to why they couldn't cover the Hunter Biden laptop, because that could have been foreign influence. They seem to use this excuse whenever it's really convenient to do so. You know, the, and all of this could have been done without outing the person. You know, she, she was like, oh, well, he, she did a right-wing media tour. Yeah, how? As a person without a name, as a person on the phone on Tucker Carlson, not with their name being publicized, and you knew that. You did it intentionally because you wanted to extract a price for fighting back against this type of ideology. And, you know, I, there's this, this, this idea that this account is responsible for some sort of bullying. It's just not true. These are publicly posted videos. Anybody could have seen them. That's just how social media works. Anybody could have seen these videos. Anybody could have put them up. And that is what's happened all over the Internet. No one seems to care. 
when someone on the right, you know, no one was like, you know, complaining when someone on the right gets their dirty laundry aired. Everyone loves that. It's just when it's someone on the left and they get their dirty laundry aired, everyone's upset about it. This is the sort of environment in the media when a media, an important thing like the media collapses because of just no credibility. This is what allows uh, conspiracy theories to grow. This is what allows the underbelly of people's thoughts to run wild. People have nothing to trust, so they trust nothing. And that is what has given rise to an era where people are begging Elon Musk to take over Twitter just so there can be something sensible done in our public discourse. You know, I don't know that Elon Musk can solve these problems by himself. He can solve a lot. He can, get, he can go into space, but this is a bigger problem. And so I don't know if he's going to be able to solve this one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know that he could do this by himself. But I will say it's a heck of a move in the right direction. And when you see what else is going on in the media, you see why something like this is really needed. One thing you can always say about Biden and the Biden administration is that he has his finger on the pulse of, of the American people. He doesn't always show a pulse, um, but he has his finger on someone else's pulse. Uh, he, this is this is the thing to push for right now. Biden administration is now going to renew a push for COVID-19 funding, which is pretty amazing. He wants an extra $10 billion dollars. Um, at least, maybe even more than that. A fascinating thing, because I don't think that's really on the top of the minds of most people right now. Uh, we've kind of gone, we had that really bad era of talking about that all the time. We came out of that era, and then you asked for $1.9 trillion to spend on COVID. And everyone was like, uh, this seems ill-advised right now. And then you got it, and then we had all this inflation, and now you want more money? Uh, it doesn't seem to be, look, he's not... He's really not connected with anybody right now. I mean, that is that's the Joe Biden way. Uh, Biden, his approval rating is now at 41 percent among young voters. That's not what's supposed to happen with Democrats, guys. Uh, this, they're supposed to be really he's supposed to be super duper popular with the young kids. And I, it's weird when you run an 80 year old, how sometimes every once in a while it doesn't connect all that well with younger people. I think, too, they see this. And the main, the main reason there is not a good one, by the way. They're just mad at him for like they have to keep paying the debt that they accrued because of college, which is like that. Joe Biden didn't make you take on that debt, just so you know. That's really more on you than it is on, on him. Uh, but he didn't get rid of it, which I guess he was supposed to. So there you go. Uh, plus, I do think, though, that there's part of this that people just don't have faith that he's even on top of it. I mean, people are watching the videos of what is happening with him at these speeches and just getting very disturbed. That's why earlier on today we started with the Joe Biden uh, the Joe Biden gaff triangle of emotions, whatever the heck we're calling it, mainly because it, you get these emotions, this confluence of emotions. Sometimes you're scared. Sometimes you're sad. Sometimes you're scary. Where does each one of these gaffes plot? And I want to give you another example of this. Here is Joe Biden shaking hands with no one. America. God bless you all. Turns around. All right. Puts his hand out to shake. There's nobody there. Uh-oh. Walking the other way. Help. Please, someone. Can I shake hands with someone? Is anyone just invisible? And maybe I've just not seen them. Let me extend my hand. He walks around, doesn't know which way to go, walks uh, off the stage. Okay, all right, a little very, very strange. And if it happened once, okay, fine, it happened once. Here it is happening again. 
turns around, shakes, well, hands out, nobody there, faces the wrong way, comes back and waves, now turns around, all right, smiles, now walks off the side. Of course, he's walking the wrong way. That's not the way to go. And so the Secret Service walks in and tries to save This is... This is not healthy. So where does this find? Where does that, Where does this land on the Joe Biden gaff triangle of emotion? Uh, kind of over on the left side there on the front. It's pretty much just funny. I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. I'm not that sad about it. Uh, I'm a little scared that he's seeing invisible people, though. I will say so. It's sort of scary, but uh, very funny. All right, back in a second. So we've been talking a lot about uh, the Twitters today, but Facebook is changing its feed again. And, you know, we've been having record weeks on Facebook. We do appreciate it when you uh, check the show out on Facebook. We're right near 200,000 followers or whatever it is, right near it, like a couple people away. So go there and follow the page uh, so we can get above that number because round numbers are incredibly important. They change the world. Round numbers, important. Anyway, um, you can mark Stu as a, Stu, uh, Stu America as a favorite account. If you do that, you get around a lot of the annoying algorithm problems that pop up on Facebook. Just go there, follow, of course, the program on Facebook, and then uh, like the show and mark us as one of the favorites. It's pretty easy to uh, to do. You just click on favorites, and then all you have to do is make sure that you set Stuber here as one of your favorite accounts, and you will get our material uh, all the time, which is pretty great. And don't let uh, you know big tech kind of take control of all this stuff. You don't have to. Uh, by the way, YouTube uh, is available as well. We do appreciate it when you go there and click subscribe or follow or whatever it is. The, the thing I would uh, highly recommend is if you click the little bell, that will give you alerts on when we go live. I think we might, might even go live tomorrow. Do a little live thing tomorrow with you uh, during the day, maybe after the radio program. If you have some time to hang out, uh, we'll, do, we'll do a bunch of question and answers, hit whatever is in the news that day. We have a lot of fun doing it. So join us and click that bell on YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. Jack writes, uh, love your show, Stu. Good guests, good host. I mean, I like how he's not overselling it. Not great. You know, it's just you're good on both on both accounts. Um, love this stupid show. Always good to see Gregory uh, on the show. His book, Inconvenient Facts, was great. Yeah, we had him on for Earth Day, an Earth Day extravaganza. I scooped dog poo today. The planet does not care, but my 12-foot by 24-foot yard loves me. Well, it's good. It's good to be loved by someone, even if it happens to be grass that had recently been pooped on. Back in a second. Okay, so here's what happened. There is a huge demand for eating meat in this country, in this world. And there's been a a disagreement as to how to produce this meat. As you know, a lot of resources, if you're an environmentalist, a lot of resources go into the production of meat. If you think about a cow as essentially a machine to change grass into meat, it's kind of an inefficient process, you know? And that's why scientists have come together and say, hey, you know, we, what if we just grew the meat like right out of cells or something? We'll take some cells, we'll just grow it in the lab so that people, people will love this. People love their food coming out of scientific labs. It's a huge, it's very well known, very well known that people love this. But I, I don't know, like, I feel like the, the thought behind that <laughs> was eventually that people could have hamburgers or something that was made out of real meat but grown in a lab. Still doesn't sound all that appetizing uh, to me. I doubt it does to you either. But was there really a push and a need for this? Siberian tiger steaks? 
leopard steaks, black panther steaks, zebra steaks. That is what they're working on right now. As the case for all lab-grown meat alternatives, the process uh, relies on live animals, minimally at least. They select sample tissue from the healthiest wild animals and then turn them into steaks in the lab. Uh, Some of the other, see they've got currently working on Siberian tiger steaks, leopard steaks, black panther steaks, Bengal tiger steaks, uh, zebra steaks, white lion steaks, and lion steaks. White lion steaks, of course, will be more uh, expensive because it's white meat. Uh, That's just the way that works. Uh, By the way, uh, don't forget to get your Hunter Biden laptop case. Yes, you can do that right now. Oh, and we have the uh, CNN Plus gear, uh, the Stu Plus gear as well at StuDoesMerch.com or HunterBidenLaptopCase.com as well. Make sure to get yours before you're banned from all facilities. We'll see you tomorrow.